Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So today we are beginning a short series. We, we're, we've moved into what we call the mission phase of our vision cycle. Our church has a vision cycle where uh, for one term of the year, we, we, we do something around foundations. For another uh, term of the year, we do like something that's going deeper, maturity. And then in this part of the year, we do something that's more missional, more outward looking. And so we are doing a mini-series that's leading up to our uh, weekend when Jazz will be with us. And, uh, uh, and, we're, and we're, what we're going to be talking about is, is creating a culture. And you may have heard me talk about creating cultures before. Um, uh, forgive me. When I, when I look back on things, I only never see the good things. When I look right back, I don't remember all the difficulties. Uh, and I don't remember what it was actually like. And it always seems good to me. So when I, I talk about, um, as a family, we created cultures. Now, I'm not sure that I really thought that at the time. But I can see that that's what we did. And some of our cultures were things like we... Um, we were very good at, um, at like celebrating things together as a family. We were very good at um, uh, creating experiences. I remember one holiday we went on where um, one of the days it was over to me to decide what we were going to do. And then another day it was over to Pauline to decide what we were going to do. And on my day, I thought I chose some really good stuff. Yeah, we were going to this place. And actually it turned out to be a really, really rubbish day. And then the next day, which Pauline chose, was a really, really good day. And we realised at that point that I wasn't the one to choose the events for the Hilton family because I wasn't very good at that. Um, but we, it was part of our culture. And another culture we had was coming to church. Coming to church was never a law in our family. Um, it was a culture. It was just what we did. So the girls came to church, and I remember... Uh, Daisy coming to church, even when in her mind she, she kind of didn't want to come, but it was almost like... That's kind of what we do. We always seem to go to church. And, um, and creating cultures are good things. It's a, it's a way of, 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 of leading uh, both in family and here in the church. So we're wanting to create culture in our church. And there are a number of things that we're going to do over these next few weeks. And today, particularly, I want to talk about creating a culture of grace. I want to create, I want us to have a culture of grace in our church. It's a foundational thing, yeah? It's one of the biggest things that, for me, I've gained from growing up in the kind of church I grew up in. The biggest thing, one of the biggest things that I learned was grace. I did not know grace, yeah? I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. it, it you, and then once I did... It's, it's probably in the, biggest, the biggest thing for me has been accepting and understanding the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and you, you'll be familiar with these words, it says this, for it, is, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Father, help us. Help us today. Help us to gain an even deeper understanding of your grace. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end, I'm hoping that we would just sing a song about grace. So surprise, surprise there. We live in a world, and I think this could be any world at any time, where people need grace. And I don't just mean the church. In the church, we talk about grace a lot. Uh, and sometimes I think we talk about grace, we understand grace, but we haven't yet experienced grace. Um, but we live in a world where every, people need grace. Yeah, People need grace. No matter how inadequate or false, we all need to know some kind of grace. We all need to know fundamentally that we are accepted. Yeah, It's the fundamental aspect of grace, that I am accepted, that I am uh, taken as I am. Some of us are so fearful of this, we create a persona which is acceptable and we live by that and you could call it the grace mask. And I think many of us have grace masks and what I mean by that is this. People say to me, uh, you know, I'm just making this up. They don't say this to me. But let's say people say to me, Owen, you're incredibly joyful. Yeah? So let's say people said that to me, that every one of you, you kept coming. Owen, I mean, you're an incredibly joyful person. Anything seems to happen, you, there's joy in your face. And yeah, Let's just say you were saying that to me. Yeah? After a while, when I realized that being joyful meant I was accepted, I would become more joyful. Yeah? I would play that. I'd play that persona. If you thought that I was joyful, I would become joyful. Because when I'm joyful, people accept me. Or if you discovered, uh, do you know what I mean? You're really, really funny. Yeah? You're just so funny. Everything you say, it's, we just can't stop laughing. Do you know? Uh, <laughs> see, these things aren't necessarily true. But that, that if that was true, I would become funny. Yeah? If you think about most comedians, many comedians that you would have seen, that you will hear about, that, that do like the Palladium and do all those big shows, the Hammersmith Apollo, all of that, away from that point of entertaining, they are depressed. Yeah? We see it most obviously there. Yeah? Because the comedian's funny. He's making me laugh. He's making me feel good, or she's making me feel good because of the jokes and the stories, and yet you come away from it and you think they're depressed. They're not, they're not what they seem. Because yeah? to be honest, no one is always funny. No one is always joyful. No one is always happy. Yeah? So if you started to call me happy, they'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm meant to be happy now. Yeah? No one is always any of these things. But we, but we often will fill those things. We will wear that mask because it's that mask that I realise means I'm accepted. If you told me I was beautiful, oh man, if you always look good, all of those things, however you describe it, I would go that way because I would think, okay, this is how I am accepted. People think I'm funny, people think I'm happy, people think I'm this, people think I will be all of those things because all of those things mean I'm accepted. I'm accepted. But actually, it's false. And we know it's false. It's a lie. And we know it's a lie. Because no, no one is those things all of the time. Why do we do it, though? We do it because the need for acceptance is one of, if not the deepest need that we have. The need to be accepted. 
However great we appear, however strong, however clever, however wealthy, behind all of that, we need to know we are accepted. And to be honest, we would trade all of that for acceptance. If you thought you could get acceptance, you'd give away your money because you think, do you know what? That doesn't bring it. Yeah? That doesn't bring it. Some of the Proverbs talk about it better to be in a place where you can only eat vegetables and you are happy than a place where you have all the meat in the world and you're not. Acceptance is massive. And acceptance is like, it's the receiving end of grace. So grace is what is poured out, is what is given. The recipient of grace fundamentally is acceptance yeah so when I married Pauline um, and I often talk about this that one of the places I've seen more grace is in my marriage and Pauline's always telling me what to do and everything but over the years fundamentally I found grace there yeah and what that has meant is Pauline has accepted me fundamentally she has shown grace to me the receiving of that grace is acceptance I felt accepted yeah so you so she'll say things that maybe in another context with another couple would be really offensive and I'll be like, oh, okay. Because fundamentally, nothing's changed. There is something that's fundamental about acceptance. You see, when grace is lacking, the following things emerge. Pridefulness, boastfulness, because if you don't accept me, I've got to make myself feel acceptable. Performance-related lifestyle, legalism, conditional relationships, judgmental attitudes, sincere but hollow promises. All of these emerge where there is no grace. Yeah? Some of the best love songs of our time speak in this way, but often they are sincere but hollow promises. Why is that the case? Humanity, we were created with a need for grace. We were created for that. We were created with an ability to give grace. Why? Because God is gracious. One of God's fundamental characteristics is grace. Yeah? So God creates us with this need for grace so that when he comes to us, we would reach out to him. Yeah? That we would know, oh God, he knows everything about me, but he accepts me. It's a fundamental thing. Our view of God, though, has been skewed so much that we almost feel this, and some of us even in this room probably feel this now, if God truly knew me, he would judge me. So I'll hide from him. I'll reject him, and I will seek out my own form of grace. Yeah? That's a modern summary of Adam in the garden. Oh, when I realised that God, when I realised that I was a sinner, I, what did I do? I didn't run to God for mercy, I hid from him. I hid from him. And some of us, even now, might be hiding from God because you're like, oh, he can't accept me. If he really knew me, he would not accept me. If they knew me, they would not accept me. So grace is fundamental to being human, yeah? Because it's fundamental to who God is. 
Yeah, God is a God of grace and we're created in his image with the ability to receive grace and the ability to extend grace to others. So we're going to look very quickly and in a kind of just going to tell a surprising story of grace. And somebody read this story. They didn't do the whole story, but they just made reference to it as a story of undeserved grace. And I knew I was going to speak on grace. I thought, oh, my goodness, that's wonderful. Undeserved grace. And it's the story of Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know where I am now. Early part of Genesis. Isaac's the one in the middle. He doesn't actually do very much. Abraham, God speaks in a big way. Uh, Jacob goes into Egypt and Joseph and everything. Isaac's in the middle. Yeah? He lives in the land. He doesn't do a great deal. But his life, his life was just a picture of undeserved grace. This is Isaac. So let me just tell you some of the things that Isaac did. Isaac was the son of promise. Imagine that. Imagine if your parents heard a few years before you were born that, that, that you would be born and, that, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and you're going to have a son and through him I'm going, to do, I'm going to fulfill all the promises. Isaac was the son of promise. You read about that in Genesis 17. God says to Abraham, Look, I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to fulfill it through your son Isaac. Isaac hadn't even been born. Isaac's salvation... Or redemption happens. Do you, you know that the, the well-known story of when Abraham goes up the mountain and, and God says, I want you to bring your son, your only son, I want you to sacrifice him to me on the mountain. So he takes him up the mountain and Isaac's saying to him, Father, Father, I can see you've got the wood, I can see you've got the fire, I see the altars there. Where's the sacrifice, Father? Where's the sacrifice? So he's old enough to get it, he's not stupid, he's not a baby. Where's the sacrifice, Father? Oh, God will provide it. The Lord will provide What did Isaac think when he's being tied to the altar? Because he gets that far. He's tied to the altar. And what is he thinking? Where's the sacrifice, Father? Yeah? And then we have this just really wonderful moment in Genesis where where Abraham lifts the knife to sacrifice his only son at that point, or this is what it says, his only son. He lifts the knife and God says, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And in the thicket over there is a ram. Yeah, and Abraham gets the ram, he takes Isaac off the altar, he gets the ram, he puts the ram on the altar, and the ram is sacrificed. In that moment, Isaac is redeemed. Isaac experiences redemption. He doesn't even know what's going on, but he experiences redemption. He experiences salvation. The story goes on. Isaac, Isaac's mother, Rebecca, she dies and um, uh, Abraham sends his servant, go back to my people, find him a wife. He comes back with a wife. Imagine that. Just imagine that for a moment. You don't have to do anything. You're at home. You're doing your thing. And then your mum turns up and the, or your, your, your friend turns up and he's got a woman. Here's your wife. Whoa. That's, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I didn't need to do anything. I'm just at home. And then he takes Rebecca. It says he takes her into the tent and he marries her. We kind of know what he's talking about. He doesn't do anything. He's sitting there among the fields and he marries. Abraham, before he dies, leaves everything he owns to Isaac. Again, what's Isaac doing? Isaac's just chilling out. He's doing his thing. And dad comes along and says, it's all yours, Isaac. All those promises. All that stuff about the land, all that stuff about... It's all yours, Isaac. It's all yours. 
after Abraham dies. So after, after Rebekah dies, Isaac marries. After Abraham dies, God blesses Isaac. Again, it's, he's not done anything. It's not like he did a really good job necessarily with the funeral arrangements for his father. He's not done anything, but it says God blessed his son Isaac. Isaac married to Rebekah. Rebekah is barren. Isaac prays. It doesn't say he struggles. He just prays. She gets pregnant. Isaac's living a life of unmerited, undeserved kindness from God. Then, not long after that, God appears to Isaac and he affirms the covenant that he's made to Abraham and he says to him, I will bless you. Why will I bless you? Because your father Abraham obeyed. So Isaac again is like, wow, what is this life? God's blessing me because of dad. Gosh, you know, I've not done, I don't know what I've done. God's blessing me because of dad. He inherited the land and he inherited all the promises made to his father. Later, God reaffirms that covenant with him. Then Isaac and Rebekah have two sons. We know Esau and Jacob. And Isaac blesses his son Jacob. Imagine you, you live a life and you do all your stuff and then you bless your son. You're able to bless him. And then it says right at the end of his life, Isaac dies old and full of years. He's 180 years old. This man lived a life of unmerited, unearned favour and blessing from God. Now, we don't know all the details, but if you simply read his story in the scripture, there's very little bad that happens to Isaac. Very little. He was born the son of promise, and he never and there's never a point where you read where, oh, and then Isaac rebelled, Isaac turned away. Never happens. Isaac lives a life of grace. Unmerited, undeserved kindness. And it's a wonderful picture because it tells us what God is like. Because as I say, Isaac didn't do anything to gain this. He wasn't like he was performing well. Yeah? Isaac did it because God chose to bless Isaac. Now, it might raise other questions, but he chose to bless Isaac. So it's a surprising story of grace when you look at it. But then there's the promise of grace. And in Galatians 4, we read these. Tell me, this is uh, Paul writing, uh, he's writing to the church in Galatia. Tell me who you want to be under the law. Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Who was that? That was Ishmael. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of divine promise. One of the most exciting things that we can see about Isaac is we are also born as a result of the divine promise. So where we read about Isaac and unmerited and unearned favour, that applies to you and that applies to me. Because we are, in that sense, in Isaac. In the same way that we are in Abraham, we are in Isaac. 
Because Isaac simply followed on. And you look at his life and you think, oh my goodness, God blessed Isaac. It raises all sorts of questions, particularly to the modern world, to the modern mind. Why did he do that? Why does he bless Isaac? Why does he not bless Ishmael? I don't know, but he does bless Isaac. Actually, he does bless Ishmael, but Isaac is the son of the promise. And Isaac is the one through all the promises are going to be inherited. And that is now you, and that is now me. The promise of grace that we see in the life of Isaac is available to you and it's available to me. You see, the gospel, it's not just the promise of grace, the gospel is a gospel of grace. Our righteousness is found in Christ. And again, the Isaac example, I talked about it. Just as Isaac had a ram sacrificed on his behalf for his salvation and redemption, so we have had a lamb sacrificed on our behalf for our salvation and redemption. John 1.29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. We could do nothing good or great to change it. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in according to the riches of God's grace. Our redemption is through someone else. It's not you, it's not me. It's not your greatness, it's not my greatness. Yeah, There is a need for grace, as I said at the beginning. There is a need, everyone needs grace. We've found grace. We have found grace. The question is, are we living in the grace that we found? Do we get it? Are we living in it? Isaac's redeemed by the ram. We're redeemed by the lamb. Jesus, nailed to the cross. Blood was shed so that we might go free. Undeserved, unmerited favour. So you look at Isaac, and you kind of need to then look at yourself and go, oh my goodness. What applied to him applies to me. So what are the results of grace? And this is where we can begin to work out, am I really living in grace? Am I living? Because grace has, I believe, some natural fruit. I.e. There are some things that, that are, are exist in your life if you are living in grace. There are things that you might say, you might understand grace. If I were to do an exam, if I were to give you all an exam paper on grace, some of you would answer every question, really. You'd get it first. In terms of your knowledge and your understanding and your ability to quote all the scriptures, you'll get it first. But will you get a first in terms of your experience of grace? You're living out grace because you can know things without really experiencing things. And that's where we go. So the natural fruit of a true, not just understanding, but experience of grace in our hearts. These are some things. First of all, if you truly experience grace, it humbles you. It humbles you. I think Isaac was humble because he could not otherwise have dealt with how did that happen? Yeah? I remember going to a funeral a number of years ago and it was a it was a, a, an older guy in the church who I knew, and he, he served in the war. He served on a ship. I remember he talked about his, or they talked about the fact that the ship he was on got bombed, 
And I think most people died. I think two or three of them were saved. He was one of those saved. It changed him. He was humble. That's grace. There was grace in his life and it changed him. It changed him completely. Grace humbles you. That humility is the opposite of boasting, which we read about in that passage in Ephesians where it says, you know, you're saved by grace, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. Yeah? The opposite of the works is the humility because you realise, oh, it's undeserved. I, I, it's, not that, it's not even my effort. It's not even that I put all the hours in. So part of the natural future is humility. Secondly, freedom. Justified freely by his grace. If you truly get this experience and understanding of grace, do you know what you can do? You can take off the grace mask. There was a wonderful comedy, oh, I found it funny, it was a bit, a bit odd that I do, but I did, called Keeping Up Appearances. I just used to laugh at it, yeah? It was just one of those silly programs that you would laugh at. Why? Because it was about this couple and this lady particularly who was always trying to keep up appearances. And the effort she went to to keep up appearances to make things look like they were doing the right thing and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what? We can live like that. We can keep up appearances. And some of you go to bed at night and you're thinking, oh my goodness, it's hard work. Keeping up appearances. Making things look like they need to be right. When in my heart... Because uh, some of us ask this question, oh my goodness, if people really knew what I was like, they would not think of me the way that they do. And that, what that does for me, it doesn't send me to God for his grace. What it does for me is, oh my goodness, I've got to just work a bit harder. I've got to work a bit harder at keeping up the appearance that everything's okay for me and everything's okay in me, even though I know it's not. If you truly experience grace, you'll be able to take off that mask, you'll be able to turn off that button called keeping up appearances. If you truly experience grace, there will be an assurance that comes in your heart, a deep inner satisfaction and security that comes from knowing you're accepted. Now, it's only in a small measure, but this is what I mean by in my marriage I discovered grace because there was a deep understanding of assurance and acceptance. I don't live with fears in my marriage. I don't live with thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to do, I need to do that, do I need to do that? If I did that, what do you think? What, what? I don't live like that at all. Thank the Lord, because I just can't, I can't keep up with it. But there is a deep assurance. Paul writes in Philippines that we are found in him, and he says this, not having a righteousness of my own. Yeah? This understanding, this experience of grace is recognising I do not have a righteousness of my own. Yeah, the righteousness I have has come from someone else. Yeah, I can't even, I can't claim it. All I can claim is, oh God, I thank you for it. That the righteousness I have comes from, it says, it goes on to say, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which is where you have to work hard, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If you have that experience of grace, you'll have that assurance. You will. If you have that experience of grace, you will be grateful. You'll be grateful. You'll be thanking God for your salvation. You'll be thanking God for, your, for his righteousness coming to you. It won't be that you come to church and then you sing a song and you're reminded of it. It will be in you. It will be part of you. 
it won't be that people have gone, oh yeah, he's got that kind of testimony. It's not about my testimony. It's about, oh my goodness, I am so grateful for what God has done. So grateful. And the other thing that will happen is you will gain a devotion for God that means, you know, you think about all the things that you do wrong. And, oh, my goodness. And sometimes we think of grace as being this thing where, oh, great, grace just frees me from having to feel guilty about stuff. You know, if I don't go to church, oh, I'm under grace, I'm under grace. People used to say that. I was thinking, I'm sure that can't be right. I'm sure, I'm sure it's a bit deeper than that. There will be a devotion that comes. It says in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. If you experience grace, that won't, you won't be thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, have I got to do all of that? You'll be like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. This is true of me, that I have become more self-controlled now I've understood your grace. Not less self-controlled. I'm more self-controlled. I am more preoccupied with wanting to do the thing that God wants me to do. Yeah, you can get there, you can get, and it's not like, oh, I'm having to work with her. You're just like, oh, yeah, oh, that is, yeah, it's, it's all great, but no. If that interferes with this, no, that can go. Because that grace that you receive from God, that deep acceptance, you, you can't get it, you can't buy that. So there is devotion that comes. And then, finally, there is the ability to extend grace do you have an ability to extend grace I don't mean are you polite to people who wind you up <laughs> yeah I don't mean that when to someone's face you say yeah, yeah, yeah and then when you talk to someone oh my goodness I'm not talking about that I'm talking about there is a bit where you might get hurt and battered and bruised and offended and all of those things can happen to you but actually, because you have received grace and you are so grateful to God, you can extend it. It's okay. And you're not, it's okay. No, it's okay. Do you know what? You can get there. You can get to that place where you can extend and show grace to others precisely because of the grace that you have received from God. A true and deep understanding and experience of grace is not that it means I can do what I like and God doesn't judge me. It's because of what he has done, I become devoted to him. I want to please him more. I want to honour him more. It's not difficult. Paulie and I were talking earlier, just, just I'll finish with this and uh, we're going to do the song, so guys, if you're ready. When our kids come home, so you know, you know our kids and we always talk about our children. When they come home, and there's a number of things that happen, um, uh, you know, Pauline gets like very, very excited when the girls are coming home and everything shifts towards the girls are coming home. I mean, just be aware of that. Don't book up anything. Don't do anything silly here. Um, give me more money because I need to buy more food. The girls are coming home. Yeah, big thing. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to say to her, Pauline, the girls are coming home. Please, please prioritise them when they come. She'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? Of course I'm going to prioritise when they come. Yeah, everything will go and they will come and we'll be into that little bit of moment of idolising our children. You know, you do that, you can't help it. Yeah, even when they get older, you can do it, yeah. Um, and it's not difficult. 
when you experience his grace, when you, maybe for the first time you realise, oh, he didn't just save me, he's accepted me, I can turn off that keeping up appearances button, I can get rid of the grace mask, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. That is, I, I, I won't overplay it, but it, that is just a wonderful experience. Yeah, because then you, it changes how you how it changes how you function, it changes all your relationships, it changes how you view serve, it changes everything. It literally changes everything. Yeah, for many of us, we serve, we do stuff, and we get to that point where you know oh, I've been doing this for like ten weeks in a row, and you can feel a bit. Yeah, I know, I know, because sometimes you tell me that. When you've experienced grace, it's almost like nothing's too hard. Nothing's too hard. You don't even care if people tread over you. You don't even care if people offend you. You become preoccupied with keeping yourself in that place where you're devoted to him. You think, oh God, what you've done for me. That inner sense of acceptance. It is deeply freeing. Now I know I'm talking to people, many of whom would have experienced grace. But if going through those lists of those things, you go, do you know what? I don't always feel that. In fact, I never feel that. Then maybe there are deeper levels of grace for you to experience. Even today, there are deeper levels of grace for you to experience. And it's not simply, you know, like a one-off moment. I mean, sometimes it can be. There can be an overwhelming revelation of the grace of God to you. But it's a, it's a lifelong commitment and walk. And walking with Jesus becomes easy when you walk in grace. It becomes easy. It really does. So let's stand together. Um, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to just pray before we do because I want uh, I just want to pray. And, 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 and to some degree, I want to just impart to you something of the grace that, that in a very, very, very small measure, I have found in God. And if you want to respond, we don't do big, big responses here at Beacon. Uh, but I know people respond in their hearts, and I just encourage you to hold your hands out if that's you and you're going, God, yeah, I, I want to know grace. I want to know grace like that. I want to know, I want to be able to turn off all those buttons that mean I try all those things. So if that's you, I just want you just to hold your hands out and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. Father, you are truly amazing. You really are. And when we come to moments where we see you and understand you in ways that we maybe hadn't before or we hadn't gone as deep as we could have done, it's wonderful, God. Lord, I I want to pray that we will be a church that when, when it really those battles hit, all those difficulties hit, we don't go to stuff to help us. We don't go to friends. uh, We we don't phone our mum or our dad or we don't do some retail therapy or anything, but we come to you because you have everything that we need. Everything. Father, I thank you for, for Stella's wonderful testimony of, do you know what? God's got everything. He's got everything. You know, I'm facing life, death. He's got everything. If she can face life, death with that kind of attitude, Father, we can face life like that. 
So I want to pray, Father, for every person here. I want to pray particularly for those who, in their own hearts, they're acknowledging, yeah, I need grace. I need to know grace like that. Father, I pray even in this moment, would you come to us with your grace? Would you bring a revelation of your grace into people's hearts? Lord, where there are things about us that we're not quite doing right, where we're performing or we're judging or whatever it is, Father, I want to pray in this moment, would you remove it? Would you remove it? Would you replace it with this overwhelming sense of your grace and the gratitude that comes with it? Father, grace is more than just a word. It is very much an experience and it is very much part of the relationship that we can have with you. And so I pray that for us as a people. I pray that for our church. Lord, as we are on mission to reach out to the lost, that they would come here and experience grace because it's the thing they don't know. It's the thing that the world struggles to, re- to replace, grace. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited acceptance by God. I pray that for us in Jesus' name. And I pray as we sing this song, God, would you impart some of its truth into our own hearts. I ask it in your name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.